This is Scandemic Resistance. I'm Thaddeus Kaczynski. This is episode three, Teaching as a Form of Resistance. In this episode, we will have a discussion between myself and a teacher of the liberal arts and literature who has kindly accepted my invitation to come on the program. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure. Well, we want to talk about um, resistance. Normally, um, this podcast has talked about, discussed political and um, intellectual, philosophical resistance in terms of exposing um, the deceits and lies and structures of power and propaganda and trying to deconstruct it and tell the truth uh, as a means to combating and helping people uh, because it is ultimately a war of ideas and even more um, a spiritual war. But in terms of the young people, and especially when one is a teacher at most institutions, um, one is not at liberty usually to talk about in a frank way uh, the political situation. But there's a more important thing to teach perhaps is how to, how, how a student can learn to assess and evaluate. Um, and this requires uh, the liberal arts, a uh, sense of accurate understanding of history, human nature, um, principles of morality, psychology, um, critical thinking and logic, interpretive ability, what's called hermeneutics, um, and, and perhaps first and foremost, uh, an understanding of what one doesn't know, combined with uh, a healthy skepticism about the media and the authorities. Uh, in terms of what they are saying and why they might be saying it. So all that combined requires a lot of teaching and good teaching and open uh, students and good institutions. So let's talk about that issue of uh, education as a form of resistance. Yeah, so, I, I think um, the for maybe maybe one thing to talk about is just, you know, where this fits within the larger scheme of things. Um, you know, because I think a lot of us felt over the last few years, um, this, this kind of totalitarianism, of course, has been growing over a number, number of decades. Um, I mean, it's always sort of waxing and waning, but um, in the last couple of years, of course, it's been really intense and, and should have been really obvious to a lot of people. Um, and, and I think a lot of us were feeling like, um, you know, what am I doing? What can I do? I'm not a Robert Kennedy. I'm not you know, one of these people who has a platform out there, Naomi Wolf or something like, you know, somebody like that. So I think it's like maybe just to, to sort of place uh, place this within the whole area of resistance. Like, um, I mean, you've already talked about what the liberal arts can do, kind of overarching thing, but, you know, maybe just get into that a little bit more, like what, you know, what, what, what our experiences have been like, you know, 
in this in this situation. Well, why don't you say what? Why don't you talk about yours first? Okay. Um, yeah, I. Uh, so I've been teaching for a long time, and um, you know, I, I've known for a long time that the uh, study of the great books and the liberal arts um, something that woke me up. I felt like before I studied them, um, I was asleep. I really didn't know how to think. And I, I kind of have the shadowy memory of myself as, a, you know, somebody in my 20s, you know, teens and 20s, holding positions um, on things like abortion or, you know, morality or politics and just holding them because other people were holding them. And not even really having any reflective, you know, I don't know, just I just didn't feel like I was reflective at all. And so, um, you know, I've just been teaching the liberal arts for a long time because it, it was something, it was, it was a whole education that began to help me wake up. And so I wanted to share that. But in the last couple of years, um, you know, you can, I, you can be in small sort of, uh, you know, kind of Benedict option Catholic situations. You can be in um, you know, classical liberal arts secular situations. You can be in you know, situations that are, you know, just schools that are, are neither, they don't really have an identity, they don't know what they're doing, they're, they're following the STEM, you know, science, technology, you know, engineering, math, um, no humanities, you know. Um, and so, you know, being in this situation, you're kind of faced with, um, for me anyway, faced with the reality that young people have not been educated to think properly and, and have not been educated to think. I, I don't know if you've read John Taylor Gatto's, um, what is it, and the history of underground education? That Underground my, history uh, of American education. Yeah, that was it. And that that opened my eyes as well. But um, over the last two years, you, you start to see that everybody in, in my generation, you know, in our 40s and 50s and 60s have been educated to basically follow a factory model, follow the directions, follow the bells. Um, and and that, that kind of education has um, continued, not so much in liberal arts schools, but in most schools, that kind of um, indoctrination or formation has continued. And so what I realized um, over the last couple of years was... Um, you know, what serious trouble we were in if uh, we have a large, a large amount of our population uh, only knows how to follow um, and, and not, not really think for themselves. Yes. Compliance. Um, yeah, that, that's engineered. Yeah. Otto tells us. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it seems to me that the first step for um, anyone to begin the, the process of education um, is to have a, a moment, uh, an existential crisis, where you recognize uh, that what you, your opinions that you have held, that you now hold, um, may not be true, and you may not even know that they're not true, and you don't recognize exactly how you even got to these opinions. You just hold them, right? And That's it's, where I was. Yeah, it's basically coming. Yeah. Coming at, it's, it's looking at the shadows uh, and seeing yes. shadows and realizing, wait a minute, I'm looking at shadows and play mm -hmm. them out. You know, we call this the red pill moment. Yeah. Um, everyone needs it. Um, at some point, um, even young people will, will need to have that experience for them to be docile 
uh, to a good teacher and to good literature and, and the classics and to the liberal education. Um, well, I haven't, I mean, that's, that's a hard moment. And um, I feel like, and I'm not sure exactly why this is. I mean, you see it in Socrates as well. And people just frankly get pissed off, you know, um, I, I have more, um, you know, when they have that moment or they're sort of being pushed to the edge like that, right. They, they just get, they get, some people get really angry. Um, I don't think I did. I mean, I've had moments over the years where I've had to sort of red pill or kind of question my own assumptions and it's not comfortable. Um, and I've, I've had lots of moments of irritation and just kind of having to come to grips with that. But, um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of fear, um, much more fear out there. And I, I'm just interested in why some people get really angry, some young people, but even older people, but some students get really, really angry. They don't get docile. No, when... that, that's true. Um, but I think in terms of the culture at large, we have a therapeutic culture, which um, mm. conditions people to seek well-being and comfort as the, the you know, the primary desideratum. Uh, of life. I mean, what else is there to live for except, uh, you know, a kind of bourgeois, comfortable, uh, pleasurable sense of well-being? Um, when when you've lost the drama of life and the and the the responsibility of of of, of your eternal soul, mm -hmm. when that's not even um, <clears throat> a, a flicker of a thought in your mind, because of uh, liberalism and secularism, materialism, and the culture we're in just prepared yeah. to be this way. The, the truth um, is not important. It just isn't, it, whether it even exists or not. It, there's a kind of uh, background utilitarianism, therapeuticism, pragmatism. And I mean, that, that's so powerful yeah. that if, you're, if, you're, if somebody has really embraced that, um, conditioned to embrace it and have embraced it and just sort of committed to it, then anything that threatens that um, is going to be seen as a as an alien, uh, hostile uh, influence that's evil. And of course, the, the greatest thing that could, you know, um, that could uh, threaten the the therapeuticism is the idea that there's something more important than your present um, feeling uh, of well being, of comfort, of security of control. That's not the purpose of life. Um, that kind of, of counterfeit uh, well-being and, and comfort and control. I mean, it, it is in a sense, the purpose of life to attain peace. Okay. But, but peace of soul is, 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 is different from this counterfeit. So that's yeah. the big problem is, is that, yeah. you know, and I, yeah, I can attest to that. I mean, I, I work in an area in school in an area where you have a lot of people who, you know, I'm, I'm teaching young people who, who will most of them become part of the establishment, sort of part of the, you know, um, I don't know if I, some of them, the elite group, some of them, you know, they're, they're going to trying to go to Ivy leagues and um, things like that. Yeah, and so excellent sheep. Yeah, they are. They're excellent sheep. Um, and, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them are. And um, one time I asked, you know, I was asking them just, you know, sort of, you know, what, where do you see yourself and where would you like to see yourself in 20 years? And it was interesting because um, most of them said that they wanted to be basically 
at a level of income and prestige where they could come back and live where their parents are. They're kind of trying to replicate what their parents have. So I think part of it's the therapeuticism and the comfort, but I think part of it is also that they, um, it's, I don't know if it's a natural instinct or a good instinct or what it is, but they want, um, they want to have what their parents have and they want to be where their parents are. So they, they're afraid of, you know, they call this, uh, you know, this area kind of this little bubble and a lot of them are really afraid to lose that because it's, it's all they know. Yes, I, I can attest to that because uh, one student I had uh, in class, um, I asked them a question. They had to write an essay on it. Is the unexamined life worth living? Socrates says the unexamined life is not worth living. Um, and so they read the apology and um, they had to write their opinion on that. And uh, I got a few who just sort of told me what they thought I wanted to hear. But one of the students, a girl, said that she had um, once in her life uh, tried to examine things and find truth and live uh, independently and be her own person. And she says that as the result of that was such trauma and such uh, abuse and um, peer pressure and, and just, just awful, yeah. awful kind of um, social pressure uh, that she just decided she was never going to do that again. And, yeah. uh, and that was it. She was simply going to be a sheep and, and do, do what everybody else thinks they should, she should do live up to the expectations of her peer group of her social and political and economic class. And that's it. And uh, yeah, so of course she's not going to, I mean, that makes sense in a way because, you know, 10 to one, she wasn't given the tools to, do any examining so she yeah. if she doesn't have the tools and she doesn't even understand where to go with it and she has no um she has no mentorship uh, no example to follow you know she's basically oh. you know on a certain track um you but, know she's it sounds like she was uh isolated yeah she had no encouragement either right right and no no culture around her to help her do that and i think um yeah, that's, that's a huge problem. So what they're doing, these, a lot of these people, you know, we look around and we think, why are all these people falling for this? It's so obvious that this is just this whole, you know, it's just totalitarianism. Like, how are they not recognizing it? Well, I think it's this, this sort of kind of longstanding pattern of, you know, conformity and prestige and, um, you know, scapegoating, basically, you know, that, you know, when anyone says the word conspiracy theory, I just, I just want to lose my mind, because I just feel like that is just such a convenient, um, you know, ostracization tool. And so I, I really don't, I don't allow that word in my class. Um, but I think one of the things that about teaching and teaching the liberal arts, whether you're not, whether you're in a liberal arts institution or not, um, fundamentally, I don't know if you would agree with this, but fundamentally, I think the three arts at the at the base of the liberal arts, the three uh, tool subjects, um, as Father Benedict Ashley calls them, the three tool subjects, um, or there's more than that, but the basic three are, you know, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And I think at the heart of it is is logic, um, 
And I just feel like if they have a culture where that's valued and emphasized and, um, you know, their own formation and thinking skills is emphasized, I think that's huge, you know, like, I don't know. I'm not in a situation where I can, I can say a lot in terms of where I'm coming from politically or where I'm coming from in terms of, you know, mandates or what's actually going on. I'm just, I'm just not, I'll lose my job. But so I have to be really careful, but I do try to um, give them the tools to think for themselves. And I don't know, is that risky, you know, for these kids without the other stuff? You know, if that's all you can give them, like yeah, well, one tool. They, yeah, I, they, um, I don't know. That's a good question because you're, you, maybe you're setting them up to fail in a way because um, maybe it, you're, in other words, you're, if you, if you like, if you baptize somebody uh, in the Christian Catholic yeah. faith and then you just say, okay, you're on your own, you know, um, no, uh, the, the, the person who's baptized requires a, a, a community that that uh, supports them and guides them and endorses them and they need others who are like that if they're all all by themselves in a way um mm -hmm. so that that's a good point but um yeah okay how about this here's another analogy um you know what if you would you would you not teach someone to speak because you were afraid that they would you know start to use language and ask questions uh, yeah. and if, you know, so I feel like logic is a, a little more like speech than it is like baptism. Well, uh, we could look at it as maybe a martial art or something, too. You know, like, um, I yeah, mean, I think that's sort of like what. Um, yeah. Uh, what. Uh, um, what's his name? <laughs> why, why am I not remembering his name? Anyway, it'll come back to me. But um, the the idea that you're giving them a kind of intellectual martial art to be mm -hmm. themselves uh, yeah. And, yeah. and to be able to uh, have a kind of um, self-sufficiency and agency so that they're not manipulated. Right. So, I mean, the main, the main thing, I think kids do not want to be manipulated um, yeah. and logic is uh, a tool that can help you recognize when that's happening. Uh, the, because manipulation is the abuse of language. When you, mm -hmm. you use language in order to, uh, attain power. Um, Were you thinking of Joseph Pieper? Yeah. Uh, okay. Use of language, abuse of power. Um, mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, you got that name drop there. Very good. Um, oh yeah. No, I know. But uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, he's great. Yeah. The abuse of language is to use it to gain power over others to serve yourself. Whereas right. For use of language is to communicate yeah. reality to help others to be to help others to participate. Uh, more deeply and accurately and in reality through the medium of your words. You're, you're, you're shepherding uh, the other into reality. You're shepherding yourself into reality with, with good language. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, but point taken that like Socrates in the rhetoric um, and the Gorgias, you know, talks about the teacher of rhetoric having responsibility for the students Um you know, Gorgias thinks that he doesn't have any responsibility. He's just teaching them a skill. Um, he's teaching them a tool, power, and they, you know, he's not responsible for what they do with it. But, you know, same thing goes with the teaching of logic. You know, am I, am I, do I have no responsibility? I don't think so. I have, I have responsibility for them. And that's, that's the difficult thing is because in some ways, you know, 
a lot of us teachers are, um, I'm sure you're included in this, a lot of us teachers are, are in some ways kind of gagged for a long time. Like if you're in a public school or a secular liberal arts school, you can't speak about the faith or you can't speak about the truth. So, so how are you supposed to, you know, how's that supposed to work? Um, if you're in a, a, a wealthy, you know, school that, that is, is religious, um, you know, uh, and they're, they're sold into the narrative of what's going on and they're, they're either not aware or they're, they're bought into it. Um, you can't talk about those kinds of things. Um, you can't, I don't know. It's very difficult because I think I do have responsibility, but I also have to, you know, take care of myself and my family, you know? So I have to, I have to walk this tightrope all the time. That's the truth. I mean, everybody, everybody is, certain particular situation with liabilities and um, exigent and dangers and prudential decisions have to be made in terms of your personal good, your family's good, uh, the good of your your workplace, um, the truth, different loyalties and, um, you know, uh, constituencies, you might say that you, that you, that you are serving. And, um, if, if you're a member of the a church, the Catholic church, for instance, you have that as your ultimate loyalty. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's difficult. Um, but I think that one of the main problems is, and I've written about this on my Substack, um, is, is the easiness, the, the, the facility with which people are putting um, something else above just being truthful and being yeah. Uh, and 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 you know standing for truth you don't have to go out of your way mm-hmm. ask your pearls before swine and give the dogs what is holy in other yeah. words you don't have to be reckless in the truth that you tell but you can't there's some things you simply can't compromise on um, yeah. and it doesn't matter what the consequences are if you um if you don't compromise it's simply right. you, you you mustn't and, yeah and I yeah, I won't. That's long. Um, that's been yeah, long. I mean, I have students because I teach a logic class and because I en- encourage them to, you know, dig in. I encourage them to start digging in and trying to tackle things that are, are more sensitive. Um, you know, I'm there to sort of help them when they're doing dialectic. I'm there to sort of referee or help help them sort of get out of tangles with themselves or with each other. And I'm trying to help them do that logically. But I never, um, I'm often asked questions, direct questions about what's going on. And I never, ever um, say what I don't think. Does that make sense? Like I, you yeah. know, somebody says, hey, you know, do you, do you like the mask mandate? You know, and I, I just kind of say, you know, let's, let's think about that. And I turn that back into a, a, a sort of a logical discussion. How would you find out if, if you should follow that? Or how would you figure that out? Well, you and see so, what you're- you're, you're trying your best um, to make sure that you don't communicate uh, lies or errors. Or, right. Uh, right. Just, and then I try to make it an opportunity for them to actually yeah. wrestle with it themselves because Couldn't I have, don't just like I don't want them following, you know, whatever expert they think, you know, they hear on the news, you know, like that idiot um, that's been on the news for so many, you know, a couple of years. <laughs> we all know I'm talking about, I think. Um you know, if they're we can say his name, can't we? Oh, it's like Voldemort, you know, oh, yeah. like, you know, something, you know, 
happen if I and I say it. You know who? <laughs> I don't know. No, Fauci. You know, like if someone like that or these other idiots. Um, I just if they start talking about like, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to listen to this or that. You know, I want them to be able to to on their own to be able to start tackling that. And so in the classroom, what I'm doing is I'm giving them, you know, I'm challenging them and saying, okay, you've come to this conclusion. Well, where did you get it? Oh, I got it from here. Well, is there another way to know whether or not that's true? Are you just going to base it on the fact that everybody thinks, you know, and doxa, everybody thinks this person is great and, and is an expert. And I said, is that enough for you? Um, what other ways could you find it out? And then it, I sort of try to turn it into an, an exercise, um, but I'm sort of telling them, hey, slowly in every different way, I'm telling them, I know you're young. I know you don't have a lot of experience, but you're going to have to be responsible at some point. You're going to have to be responsible for your medical decisions, your political decisions, your ethical decisions, and your religious decisions. You will be responsible and you want to be responsible. And so what are the ways you can take that responsibility on, uh, you know, without, um, you know, self and what you really believe yeah. in? Every single technology in the culture and every single um, propaganda narrative and every single bad law and cultural dynamic and um, totalitarian um, impetus. I mean, everything that's bad if you want to boil it down to one thing, it's, I'm going to, you don't have to be responsible, right? Yeah. So if you're, if you're a relativist, you're not responsible yeah. for truth because it doesn't exist or it's, it's, one can never know if it's, if it's there or if it's real or whatever. If, if it's, you know, liberalism says that, um, you know, you can believe what you want, but it's private and it doesn't really mean anything to anyone else and it's not universal. So what kind of responsibility is that? The modernism of the church right now uh, says that, you know, everybody gets that goes to heaven. It, you know, all you have to do is be tolerant, which is to say not care about truth. Really, basically, mm -hmm. tolerance means you don't really care about truth. So when someone says something that's evil and insane, you tolerate it because you don't care. Um, uh, about blasphemy or offenses to God, uh, and and on and on it goes um, with 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 these things. And and the totalitarianism, of course, is 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 the exquisite uh, renou renunciation of responsibility because you just you simply just become uh, a kind of um, collectivist participant, a cog. And you you allow your mind it's to be colonized by the group, and by the um, official narrative, and and you know you you get to be righteous, and you get to feel in control, and you get to feel power. Well, you know, I mean, just I mean, just from the girl you talked about, the student you had, you know very well, and they know very well. Um, even you know early high school, I, I think they learn it in middle school. Uh, starts to dawn on them, but starting in high school and college and beyond, um, there are consequences for not following the narrative, for not allowing your mind to be colonized. Yeah, right. I mean, there's just consequences. And um, so I, I think, um, you know, how do we, how do we deal with that? And, no, I and I, that's what, what I'm saying is, is that it's the, the, the cards are, are really stacked against yeah. because to be to be responsible is the scariest thing um, a person can confront. 
um, it's one now if you're taught how to be responsible and if you're taught to love responsibility and own it yeah. and see it as a kind of path to creativity and freedom and dignity yeah. and nobility um, if you see it as a kind of drama and you you know you it's a gift to be responsible and if you're encouraged and taught how to do it and you're given little examples of 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 uh, and good mentoring and you have little responsibilities that you uh, eventually figure out how to, how to, how to deal with. And then you, and then as, as you know, you, as you grow, you get bigger ones. Um, I mean, it's easier. And if you also have a, a theology and a, 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 and a, a church, a religious experience that shows you why, you know, the irresponsibility is, is a gift from God. And it, and it, it means that you can attain the highest level of happiness Um you become yourself when you when you become responsible. It's something that only you can do. It's a, it's it's priceless, and um, God will help you. He wants you to succeed. He will do everything he can. And then there's the paradox that when you renounce your self will and you surrender to God, that's when you become most responsible. It's almost like the 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 more you rely on God to um, act through you, the more responsible you are, um, because God. Um, really does uh, somehow uh, allow you to act uh, in, a, in a very free and uh, with, with free agency, and, and yet he's always helping you. Okay, it's hard enough if you've got all those aids. Yeah, but I know. And I, I think... Just see, and the last thing they want is responsibility because they don't know what to do with it. And well, that's, that's true. And, and they only and become responsible in a very narrow way. Okay, I'm going to make sure I make money and I, right. I'm sure, I get into this school right. and, and and do what it takes. Yeah, you know. and there's a lot of anxiety, right? They have a lot of anxiety around it. I mean, that's one of the major, you know, things that the counselors and the people are always telling you is that that you know anxiety is rampant, and that sort of makes me think of uh, that. Dis, what is his name? Matthias Desmet. Yeah, Desmet. 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 Um, where. You know, I was listening to him on an interview and he was talking about the mass formation. Um, and I think some of this sort of um, feeling, you know, your mind being colonized or feeling this free floating anxiety, um, being sort of, um, you know, told that your truth is your truth and that person's truth is that person's truth and feeling really isolated. And then people just, it's not natural to live that way. And so then they start looking for a common narrative, you know, some kind of connection to others in yeah. a very, uh, you know, atomized society. And then, you know, that can be used um, to create a situation where people are totally dependent on the media and on sort of this, you know, crisis narrative. And so all of that's really interesting. And I think really good. One of the things that I don't like about what, what does, does met, whatever his name is, says is, um, is that he, he says that, you know, religion um, used to be that kind of um, overarching narrative that would create a mass formation, would create this kind of like, oh, you can, you can be a part of something. So he almost sees religion like a Borg, you know? Yeah, he's a new age. And, yeah. And so I think what you're saying here is that, you know, no, actually a faith that, that asks that you, um, that you work with God and that you respond to God and that you have a, you have responsibility for your actions, for your ethics, but yet he's there to help you. So it's kind of this perfect balance of you have responsibility. Um, you know, God wants you to be 
a complete, full, perfect, you know, perfect and sense of completion. But he doesn't leave you to do it on your own. He doesn't. And there's a body of, of you know, people there. You're, you're there with them. Um, but it has this tension between um, individual responsibility and real community that is so missing outside of outside of that. Yeah. So he's completely wrong on that. But I think a lot of these kids, you know, and, and a lot of kids in Western Europe, probably most young people um, have, you know, swallowed the the chimera of liberalism. Right. Just that kind of like the, the half truth, the 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 mess that it's created for them, um, you know, with this kind of radical individualism. And that's in the logic class. That is actually one of the toughest things, one of the sort of primary things that you have to deal with is their um, belief in and willingness to accept that there even is truth. Yeah, well, they see it as as an something um, just like God, uh, a competing agency or a competing um, absolute that is. All- yeah only able to infringe upon my freedom and my uh, ability to do what I want and to be an individual. Yeah. Um, truth is, is a conformist thing. It's a collectivist thing. Yeah. And um, I don't know, that's, that's a tough one, but that's because well, you, you could talk about that with like just the idea of material logic. I mean that, yeah, you know, you have your book, uh, your high school textbook, basically. Yeah. Right. That talks about that, that that is kind of dealing with that. Um, you yeah. know, most logic courses actually, you know, don't do a lot with material logic. They start more or less with formal logic and jump right in. Well, to, it, yeah. you know, yeah. Formal logic is more or less hypothetical. It's it's computer logic. If X, then Y. Uh, right. But how do you get to that statement of um, the first premise? OK, so once you have a premise set down. Uh, a claim, you could find out what logically follows, what can't logically follow from that. Right. And you could understand um, uh, validity uh, in terms of, you know, if you lay down something, uh, what are all the implications? And that's important. But the question is, how do you assess um, the, the the first principle of an argument? How, how do you get it? Um, yeah. What is, what is, what's going on when you make a claim Um are all claims simply just, uh, you know, arbitrary assertions, or is there a way in which the mind uh, of a human can contact reality in this fundamental way, such that there's a there's an accurate, deep, intimate contact with the real? If there isn't that, then every claim is arbitrary. And yeah, so talk about how you know. I mean, you really probably you know you wrote the book, so <laughs> so how how do you think? Mat- the study of material logic, uh, you know, helps that with, with, you know, high school students, early college students. Well, they get a, they, well, because see truth, truth is a, a com- truth is a community. It's you're, you're in communion with re- the real. Yeah. Okay, so, so individualism in this bad sense is isolation from reality and you're closed in on yourself. Yeah. Which is basically insanity and it leads to, and it's miserable and it's, um, it's hell, actually, uh, to be in isolation from reality. Yeah. Um, once once you're isolated, you you can come up with your own reality. Great. You know, you could live in a virtual reality of your own making, but everybody knows that that's insane. 
and there's no community and there's no love, there's no intimacy, there's no relationship. And we're built for that. And so if, if, if students can under, if kids can understand that truth is actually a kind of like, like erotic, intimate relationship with the real, I mean, even the word concept, right? We have the idea of conception. Um, oh, I know. I did that. I did that to him in class, you know, um, you know, there it's, it's kind of funny when you say, do you realize that's related to conception and what does that mean? Yeah. I and mean, then they start kind of going, they're looking at you like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's basically the, the mind is like a feminine female kind of receptive organ. And then reality is masculine and there's a kind of union um, with, with, with real objects. This is what Aristotle tells us. Um, right. And Plato before him had a, had a slightly, well, not slightly, but a, a different way of understanding this. But Aristotle says that, that, that when you, when you have the first contact um, with a, with a, with something real, um, it's not that you form an, you form in your brain an image of the real object that then becomes a kind of um, third like a thing. copy. Yeah. Copy. And then, and then what you do is you just sort of somehow are conscious of this copy and then somehow you're supposed to get back to the real world now. Yeah. And then nobody that's wants not... that. I mean, that's Kant, right? Yeah. That, no, yeah. nobody, nobody really like when you talk about it that, that way, um, you know, I have them go on something called an apprehension walk. And then I, I talk about this and it's like, none of them want to be sharing copies. Right. You know, or none of them want to, to, or none of them doubt that they're both when, when they're with somebody walking around at campus, looking at something, none, neither of them doubt that there's, they're connecting with the same thing. Yeah. Right. And so we talk about that and, and they, they for a while, they're kind of like, well, why are, why are we talking about something that's so obvious? And, I'll, and I, I explain, you know, that this is fundamental, you know, there are philosophers who in the past have, have doubted this or have called this into question. It's caused all kinds of problems. Um, but this, this connection, I mean, you know, you're talking about in a sense, a, a joining or, um, a union with, with the, with the essential form of the thing, of the object, right? You're, you're in, you, you are, you are it, you become it. In yeah. Um, you become it mentally. So, yeah. So, um, it's, uh, it's that the, con so that a concept is, so you have something out there, a tree, a horse, a person, obviously you're not literally materially in union with that. That's sexual union, but yeah. in terms of knowing, there's certainly going to be the mind and there's going to be something in the mind uh, yeah. that is having, is allowing for a kind of uh, contact. Now, it all depends on how you understand that mediator. Um, the medium, right, is not is is not what you are encountering or knowing. A medium is that by which or through which something uh, outside of you and you join. So mm -hmm. when you're seeing a tree, the medium is air and light, but you're not seeing the air or light. You're seeing through the air and light. But if it was it wasn't for the air or, or the light. Um, you wouldn't be able to to see the tree. It's so, it's so you're saying like even like the senses are are in a way a kind of medium. Well, the, yeah, the senses. You're not sensing yeah. senses. 
Yeah. You're, you're sensing the object through the sense. The sense is um, di- yeah. okay. it's, it's It goes away. It's like a catalyst. A catalyst in a chemical reaction is not one of the elements of the reaction, right? It's simply that, right. that which permits the reaction. So the concept of a universal reality, a nature of something, that concept is not what you what you know. It's that by which you know. It's the mm-hmm. by which. It's that by which you know the reality. Um, mm-hmm. Concept is a kind of empty vessel, which brings. It's like a, it brings you and the object together, and mm-hmm. it, it's it, it doesn't get in the mm-hmm. way. Right. In, in Catholic uh, terms, it's similar to Mary. Right. When you pray to Mary and say the Rosary. She simply brings you to God. That, that's what Mary is. That's who she is. She's the mediator. She doesn't get in the way. You know, mm-hmm. um, so a concept is like a, um, uh, what do you call like a matchmaker or, um, you know, um, yeah. a media, a, a catalyst, a medium. It's a tool, but the, the concept itself is in the mind and yet mysteriously it's it's by that concept that you and the tree and you and the person and you and the transcendental of goodness or, so, or whatever it is beauty actually come into intimate contact and i mean you could deny this and say that it's a copy that you know or it's some kind of evolution, right um you know right. of things you never get to the real thing but i mean it, it goes against uh, our intuition. It goes against our aspirations to say that there's always going to be this this kind of um, wall between each individual and reality. Um, yeah, and none of them like it's really interesting because I I don't often get I, I don't know I can't remember anybody who's really pushed back on this because I think that they it gets down to that that very basic uh, desire human desire to uh to join with what is real well you know but you know the only reason you'd you'd want to deny this don't you you know what it is it's so you can have your way yes because if 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 there's if you're isolated and you have these ideas you can control them and you can manipulate them and you manipulate the world so what you do is you you get control okay you know what i think this is why this is why it's it's so essential um, to get to really be part of the, why it's so essential that part of the resistance to all of this, the scandemic and the, the fake virtual reality that is just burgeoning out of control around us um, is, you know, is, is just getting it at kids or I don't know if getting at is the right word, but just reaching kids before they have, um, you know, sort of locked down and made that decision that no um you know reality's too uncomfortable and i can actually shut myself right off and do what i want you know it's kind of and i think a lot of adults um once they buy into that once they buy into the idea that 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 they can just decide hey i'm just gonna you know live within the concepts you know the world of my own concepts basically and I can listen to you or not, or I can ostracize you or cancel you, you know, I can ghost you, all of those terms, you know, that so, and, and the virtual world and social media just has made this so much easier to do, so much easier to live this way, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's so many adults, um, and the more, it seems like the more power they have, the more they're tempted 
to, you know, to believe in this ideology that they don't have responsibility um, to be in the real world. Um, They're not submitted, you know, understanding means standing under something, right? That you're submitting in a sense um, to, to reality. But kids who are in middle school, kids who are in high school, maybe early college, um, those kids are still, they still want reality. They want it. And they don't have much power yet. And they, they want, they want it. Yeah. And so if we don't reach them now, um, then they're going to, I mean, they're going to kind of be lost into the Borg, you know? Yeah. I think it is urgent. And um, once they get a taste for that fake count, the counterfeit power. Yeah then um, it's hard to get them back. It's true. It's hard to get them back. Yeah. Especially if they have the money and the, the, uh, you know, the position in life to, to maintain that, um, you know, that level of buffering, you know, it's like the, we're talking about the, the, you know, Charles Taylor's idea of the buffered self. Well, that, that's, that buffering itself can be an idol, right? That can be your God. Um, And I, I just, I just, think that is you know, too, right? what's that the opposite extreme it would be scary too like do you have no buffer you're just completely at the mercy of like you know you're you're so in contact with the external world that it's like you don't even have agency right you're just constantly okay what what would be an example of that because i was thinking of you know where christ says you know blessed are you poor um you know, or the meek shall inherit the earth. Um, it's like, because the meek are going to be the only ones actually who know what it is anymore. Yeah. You know, I just think of people who, I mean, nobody wants to live in poverty um, yeah. or you're lacking essential. No, I mean, goods, I mean but... I'm, I'm thinking of the, the problem of the pagan and early medieval, maybe. Oh, oh, like the primitive mind. Yeah. There's just, everything's enchanted and there's spirits everywhere. And the the sense of you having autonomy and and kind of being oh. everything, your soul is sort of always pervade, you know, uh, invade mm-hmm. uh, potentially invaded. But- okay, because so it's like, have you read uh, that hideous strength? Yeah. So the you know the the Merlin character in that in that book yeah um, is somebody who you know he t- ransom in that that story the Christ figure talks to Merlin about the fact that, you know, he has allowed his soul to be uh, violated in a sense in that, in that pagan way. And so, um, you know, he is the one who has to kind of take in the the powers into himself. Yeah. But, you know, whereas it's like, no, in a Christian worldview, you know, you have a certain, you have a dignity of the image of God and a dignity and you don't, you don't right. live at the mercy well, of, yeah. of this. We, yeah, we have the extremes happening at the same time, right? Because oh, yeah. and you have people, you know, going into their little bubble chambers, echo chambers, and their virtual reality, they have complete control, and then they're completely subject to the collectivist propaganda. And they have... Their- yeah, I mean, it's almost like, I mean, that's the, exactly, that's the, the whole Pachamama thing, right? Yeah. It's like, that's coming into, you know, the, the sort of the lexicon of the, the mainstream church. Where it's like, it really is a kind of neo-paganism, this climate change thing, this, you know, it's one thing to steward the earth and to talk about, you know, our responsibility and authority over over the world and the earth and the, and the, the responsibility to treat it properly. Nobody's denying that. But, you know, when you have this kind of semi, 
you know, idolatry of, of, you know, uh, the world and the climate and the whales and the, you know, I mean, there's a difference, right? And, and so, yeah, there's these two extremes, like everybody's just bowing down to, you know, those idols, but then they're, they're also, you know, refusing to, um, to be in a dialectic about, you know, being in, in their own little realities at the same time. It's so weird. Yeah, it's it, the extremes always meet and individualism and collectivism, they're, they're both caricatures of the dignity right. of Christian who um, is a member of the mystical body and is really just another Christ in the world and yet somehow submitting to Christ's will and living in the divine will, as Luisa Picoretta teaches, that actually brings you back to your true self and individual uniqueness. So it's, it's that paradox that only makes sense. Yeah really um, in the in the supernatural order and the natural order, you know, just has these um, these counterfeits. And uh, yes, yeah, yeah. So and I mean, all this education um, in liberal arts and logic and deep immersion in good literature to teach to teach the imagination, yeah. to feel deeply, to understand human nature. I mean, you read a Dostoevsky novel will teach you everything you need to know about psychology and you know, Homer and Shakespeare. I mean, you know, you have logic dialectic on the one hand for the intellect and um, yeah. then you have, um, you know, Dostoevsky and Shakespeare and Homer and the classics and poetry for the imagination and the emotions and the thumatic element, the heart, the chest, as Lewis calls it. And, but all that is not going to really be integrated and work well unless you have the overarching uh, the theological truths both natural and revealed, um, and that has to be taught well and ortho in an orthodox way. But then that has to, that has to be fecundated and confirmed by an experience of of God in liturgy, good liturgy, and ecclesial community. And okay, but right, but all you're saying is is true. I I get it, but that makes me in the situation that I'm in makes me feel kind of hopeless, right? Because like there is no way that um i mean there are very few institutions i would say who have all of that no i agree i mean i think there are some probably out there but then they have their own problems there's always problems but i guess what i'm doing uh you know as a kind of form of resistance is just trying to do that okay i'm gonna you know i'm gonna like strengthen your little wings here um you know, your, your ability for your mind to kind of, you know, I, I guess all, all I'm thinking about is like, I just want to give them some very basic tools so that if they so desire and if, if they're called in some way that they will, they will seek truth. Yeah. But I know very well that some of them can use this um, knowledge and these skills and they can use them to, you know, just you know, do power plays on other people. Um, I, there are students I have that I'm, I'm, I'm actually worried about, yeah. you know, they're very, very intelligent, pick up on this stuff, like, you know, nobody's business. And then who knows what they're going to go do with it. And I, I do, I pray. Um, and I think you're right. I think um, the idea of the poetics as kind of a, a recreative logic, right? It's the, the type of logic that deals with um, resolving emotional difficulties. So it's a kind of recreation. Um, whereas rhetoric is, is also dealing with emotional difficulties in the sense, but it's, uh, you know, trying to get people to desire through persuasion, desire the good. Um, and so well, I'm just, yeah. 
they need the the poetic knowledge. Yeah, they do. As much as they need the um, cons- yeah. abstract, factual, uh, you know, intellectual yeah. dialectic. But no, it's not. It's not. It's not all or nothing. It's just. It's just important to recognize what what you what the what the ideal is and and um, and always okay. aim towards it and do what you can in light of that ideal. You, you know, and, and you know, recognize you're always you know. But you know, you can you your presence. The fact if if you as a teacher have had to some extent that kind of education, mm-hmm. your presence can simply um, you know by osmosis like kind of transmit that if if it's if the yeah. and the curriculum and, and the situation you're in doesn't allow for and of course you know there are those institutions that say they have it all they have it all and they've got everything and they've got the, the whole entire integrated curriculum and they got the the greatest catholic intellectuals and yet if there's a surf self-serving element in there and an ego element and if it becomes an a cult-like or if, if, if in any way it's not really ordered by charity and, and poverty of spirit, I mean, it's going to be the ultimate counterfeit and, and that that's the Pharisee temptation. So sometimes it's better not to have everything um, to keep us home. Yeah. That but, makes sense. I yeah. mean, I, yeah, I think I, I would say, you know, a, a shout out to all, all these young people who are going to different liberal arts institutions and they're kind of, you know, wondering like, okay, what, what am I doing? What am I doing with this? And I mean, I can say, you know, um, as a teacher, I'm a professional, um, and I've been doing this for a long time, but I can say that the liberal arts education, the poetics, the humanities, the, you know, politics and society, the mathematics, that whole integrated understanding you get, I mean, that allows you to um, get at first principles and then you can, you can, if you are a person who's able to work back through evidence and get down to first principles and definitions of terms, and then understand where something is in a historical framework, understand the poetic uh, parts of it, if that's, that's there, or how that relates to science or what science is really about, and you can pull all those things together, it doesn't matter what profession you're in, Yeah, um, you're going to be somebody who brings in an integrated um, view of reality. You're just going to be that person. That's right. It's indispensable. Yeah. So yeah, there's no doubt that you should always try to get that there. I mean, especially culture that is the opposite of it. Four years of it is not enough. So if you can get four years of it um, in both high school and college, it's still even a minimum. Um, And don't worry about your career prospects. They'll emerge. Um, But anyway, I think this has been uh, great. So thank yeah. you uh, for the conversation. Uh, sure. Good luck and God bless you in your endeavors in teaching and uh, everyone yeah. listening. Um, keep up the fight. Keep up your courage. God wins and keep up the resistance. And I'm Thaddeus Kaczynski. God bless you.